church. Rome's answer has abused the church for over a millennia. Who is the Lord's anointed? Pentecostalism's answer has abused and taken advantage of the weak for far too long. And who is head of the home? Patriarchalism's answer has abused wives for far too long. The Bible's answer is simple. There is one mediator between God and man, and that is the man Christ Jesus. The Lord rules, leads, guides, washes, feeds, serves, gives, and saves by one, one head, one anointed, one Lord, one shepherd. One shepherd. You see, God shepherds by one. God shepherds by one. He leads by one. And that's the truth of our text this morning. The truth behind our text is that God rules, and he rules by one. And that one ruler is Christ. Jesus is the great shepherd of the sheep. Jesus is the great shepherd. That's the focus of our sermon this morning. Jesus is the great shepherd. I got three points for you this morning. Jesus is the great shepherd, and he shepherds by ordination. He shepherds by grace, and he shepherds with power. Jesus is the great shepherd, and he rules and cares for his church through ordination, by grace, and through and with power. Our three points, and may the Lord bless us as we hear now the word of God. Our first point this morning, Christ shepherds by ordination. We turn now, 2 Samuel 5, verse 1. Then all the rulers of Israel came to David at Hebron. All the ruler, all the tribes, it says. That's a lot of people. All the tribes came to David at Hebron. That must have been a ton of people. But in reality, it wasn't very many. Because verse 3 says, So all the elders of Israel came to the king at Hebron. All the tribes were represented before David through the elders of Israel. All the tribes were connected by a delegation of elders. And that is how all of Israel came to David. And these elders came to David at Hebron, and they came with three overtures. Three overtures to make David king. Three reasons he should be king. And the first was, he was family. Verse 1, they came to David at Hebron and said, the elders, behold, we are bone, we are your bone and flesh. We're family. You should be king because we're family. The second, they said, the second overture was, not only was he family, but he was a great leader. Verse 2, in times past, when Saul was king over us, it was you who led us out. It was you who led Israel out and brought Israel in. You were a great leader. And then finally, the last overture for the king was this. And the Lord said to you, verse 2, you shall be shepherd of my people Israel, and you shall be prince over Israel. Now, all of these are great overtures. All of these would be good reasons to make David king. But the only one that truly mattered was the third 
overture. God spoke, God said, and God's people are always ruled by God's word alone. God's word was David is king, and that settled it for Israel. David would be king because that was God's promise, and that is God's word, and the word settles everything in the church because the church belongs to one king. Verse 2, in times past, when Saul was king over us, it was you who led us out and brought us in, and the Lord said to you, you shall be my shepherd, you shall be shepherd of my people Israel. My people. Notice it is the Lord's people, he says. My people. You are to shepherd my people. Israel was the Lord's because God promised and God said that they were his. And we hear that promise, the very first promise in the Abrahamic covenant. In the Abrahamic covenant, God says to his people, I will be your God and you will be my people. And that promise... That one promise unites all of God's people together. So in the New Testament, we hear of the new covenant people, the same promise given. You will be my people. Or I will be your God and you will be my people, you and your offspring after you. And so we as Christians today are the sheep of his pastor. One promise, one word, one king, one people. You see, the story of God's people is the story of the Abrahamic covenant. The second Samuel 5 is our story. Abraham makes second Samuel 5 our story. Matter of fact, Abraham makes all of the Bible stories our stories. These are our stories. One faith. One hope, one Lord, one baptism, one God who is over all. So like ancient Israel, we are the Lord's possession. So like ancient Israel, no earthly king rules the church. No earthly king owns the church. No mere man rules the church. No lone ranger leads the church, serves the church. Matter of fact, the church is ruled by no man. No one rules the church. The church is shepherded. It's not ruled. The church is shepherded. And that is what we see here. You shall be my shepherd. You shall be shepherd to my people Israel. You shall be prince over Israel. He was a king shepherd. And shepherds serve the needs of their sheep. And this is ordination. David is being ordained to serve the sheep, to defend, to lead, to tend to the needs of Yahweh's people. He was not the shepherd. He was a shepherd, an under-shepherd, a hireling. And that is ordination. When ministers ordained, they ordained under-shepherds, hirelings. And shepherded by ordination means shepherded by proper government proper church government. And I love how this text, the elders in this text are not by themselves ruling in this text. The elders aren't here by themselves ruling, and they never are in Scripture. 
And elders are always connected together. together. There's always this, this organic connection of God's people in Scripture. And this connection is key in the New Testament as well. We see the same connection in Acts 15. In Acts 15, the church in Antioch, if you remember in Antioch, the church was being plagued by these heretics, these Judaizers. And they didn't know how to handle the Judaizers. They needed wisdom from the church. So the church in Antioch, north of Jerusalem, sent down two minister delegates to the Jerusalem church in Jerusalem. And there the Jerusalem church, which was a bunch of house churches, by the way. There was no great cathedral in Jerusalem at this time where everyone worshipped. It was just a bunch of house churches. But in Acts 15, it says, when the delegates came and all these house churches, when they all came together, the text says, the church gathered. The church gathered through the delegation of all these elders. So all the church together, like all Israel together here, all together by the delegation of elders and ministers. And Acts 16 reports that through the decision, I quote, through the decision reached by the apostles and elders at Jerusalem, the churches were strengthened in faith and they increased in members daily. The church grew and the church growth strategy, I love Acts. I mean, Acts really makes the apostle Luke the first church growth guru. He's the very first church growth guru. And his strategy was do proper church government, do church right, have leaders who delegate and connect and come together and the church will increase and the church will grow and the church will be strengthened in faith when all God's people gather together. So it says, verse three, so all the elders of Israel came to the king at Hebron and King David made a covenant with them. All of Israel was gathered by the elders gathered together. And we see here in this text that we are served by delegated connection in the church today. We're not served by one man. We are served by a delegated connection. One church to one another so that we're not independent. We don't want to be independent. The church is never shepherded by independency, whether it be episcopacy or congregationalism. We're shepherded by the wisdom of the Proverbs, the wisdom of the Proverbs served by a multitude of counselors together. So Christ rules his church together. And when we are served by the wisdom of the Proverbs, the church is one, not many, not many individual episcopacies, congregations, but one. And we're served by one Christ, and the church together is healthy. And all of this is ordination. Christ shepherds through his church and through his people together, one holy Catholic faith. Christ shepherds by ordination. Our second point, Christ shepherds by grace. So all the elders of Israel, proper government, came to the king at Hebron, and, the king, and king David made a covenant with them at Hebron. He made a covenant before the Lord. Now this made a covenant in, in the Hebrew is literally he cut a covenant. There was blood involved. They killed an animal. They sprinkled blood on some documents, perhaps on themselves. And they cut a covenant before the Lord. This is a religious ceremony because it says it's before the Lord. And no doubt was performed by one of the Arianic priests in Hebron. 
And there before the Lord, they cut this covenant. They had this ordination service. And here through the ordination service, David becomes a shepherd king, a servant king. And he held this office for a long time, the text says, verse 4. David was 30 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned for 40 years, 40-year reign. At Hebron, he reigned over Judah for seven years and six months. In Jerusalem, he reigned all over Israel and Judah for 33 years. Now, the narrator reminds us of David's success through how long he reigned. He had a good long reign, and he reigned successfully. And his success, not only did he reign successfully, his success began the moment he started reigning. The moment he was anointed success, verse 6. And the king and his men went to Jerusalem against the Jebusites, the inhabitants of the land. If you're going to underline or highlight your Bible, this is where you want to start. You want to underline, highlight the phrase, Jebusites, the inhabitants of the land. And that's redemptive history. It's a very important redemptive history. Something very important is about to happen, but more on that in a moment. For now, we are being led to our second point, God shepherds by grace. So who said, now these inhabitants, they said to David, you will not come in here, but the blind and the lame will ward you off, thinking David cannot come in here. You're not going to come in here. You're not going to make it here to their chagrin. Verse 7 I love the narrator here too. He, he, he writes this verse, he writes verse seven with a lot of, there's a lot of sarcasm dripping from his pen. He says, nevertheless, David took the city. <laughs> nevertheless, easily took the city. Nothing for David to conquer his enemy. It was nothing easy. Kind of reminds us of grace. Easy, easy for God to deliver not of works, lest any man should boast. And that grace is found in the phrase, Jebusites, inhabitants of the land. Very important phrase, but more on that in a moment. For now, the narrator explains how he took the city so easily. Verse 8, and David said on that day, whoever would strike the Jebusites, let him get up the water shaft to attack the lame and the blind who are hated by David's soul. Therefore, it is said that the lame and the blind shall not come into his house. And here we see how David took the stronghold. You see, Jerusalem was a walled city. It was a walled city on a mount, a finger-shaped mountain. On a finger-shaped mountain, a walled city had valleys surrounding it on all three sides, and it felt secure. There was real security there. But this walled city on a finger mountain had one Achilles heel. And that was this, in order to survive siege warfare, in the ancient world, in order to survive siege warfare, the most important thing you would need is water. So this walled city built a shaft that lowered down into the Gihon Spring, a big, long water shaft. It was probably hidden where they could lower buckets down this long shaft, grab some water, pull it up. David found, David knew about the shaft he had his men scramble up the shaft and into the city, and from within, they easily took the city. And David's wisdom won the day. And the text, verse 9, says he became great. Verse 9, and David lived in the stronghold and called it the city of David. 
And David built the city all around from the Milo inwards. He built up the city. He reestablished it, made it stronger, probably hid that water shaft even a little better. In verse 10, the text says, and David became greater and greater. David became greater and greater. His success is owed to his military might, his military wisdom, his leadership. But the narrator is really quick to remind us where his greatness resided. Verse 10, for the Lord, the God of hosts, was with him. The God of hosts means the God of war. The God of war, the God of battle was with David. And this is the Abrahamic covenant. For the promise of the Abrahamic covenant is this. I will be your shield and I will be your reward. You see, God promises to his people that he will protect us He will defend for us, and he will provide all that we need. I will be your shield and your reward. And so David's greatness was due to grace, the grace of God. And that grace is found in the Abrahamic covenant, which is found in that phrase up there in verse 6, Jebusites, the inhabitants of the land. Such an important phrase for this text, Jebusites, inhabitants of the land of the land. You see, Genesis reminds us that God would drive out these inhabitants in the land and give this land to Abraham and his offspring. If you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to Genesis 15. Genesis 15, verse 18. Genesis 15, verse 18. Moses writes, On that day the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying to your offspring, I give this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Catamanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and who's last on the list? The Jebusites. When Yahweh promised the land to Abraham, he promised a land that belonged to others. He was giving them a land that actually belonged to others. Other peoples occupied this. And the Jebusites and all these different ites, they occupied the land. And the Jebusites are always mentioned last when this promise is repeated. This Abrahamic promise is repeated over and over and over and over and over again. And every time it's repeated, and there's always different, fa- there's always different ites included. Some ites are missing from some lists. There's new ites added to the list. But the Jebusites are always on the list, and the Jebusites are always last on the list. Listen to Joshua 3. Joshua 3.10. And Joshua said, here's how you shall know that the, living, that, that the living God is among you and that you will without fail drive out before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, and the Jebusites. Here's how you know God is with you when the Jebusites are no longer in the land. You see, by the time of David, all of these ites have been driven from the land, but there was one clan that remained, the Jebusites. 
And God's promise to Abraham is about to be fulfilled. The Jebusites' days were numbered because God's promises are true. And when God speaks, his word is true and his word comes to pass. And the promise to his people is grace. And the Abrahamic covenant is a covenant of grace. And so God promises salvation. He promises to drive out the inhabitants of the land, to redeem his people. Because he not only redeems his people, but he provides for his people. And say, so that's God's promise to you today. And it is sure, no matter, no matter, no matter your life, your sin, your struggles, when Jesus says to you, I will never leave or forsake you, there's no fine print in that verse that says, unless you're faithless. No, it says he is faithful and he is just and he will never let you go. Now, it might seem that God is not answering his promises sometimes, does it not? Sometimes it doesn't seem that God is answering his promises, but the delay of grace is grace. You see, God knows what you need, and he is working all things together for your good, and he knows what you need, and sometimes what you need is the delay. You need the delay. And in that pain, and in that trial, and in that suffering, you must find that his grace is sufficient and that, that, that delay is calling you to patience. You see, we're thankful when there's prosperity and you're going to have prosperity and you thank the Lord for the prosperity, but the prosperity flees, it's fleeting. And in the pain and in the sorrow and the trouble, there you are called to patience. Patient, wait for the Lord. His promise is already true. It took him a long time to get rid of those Jebusites, but he answers his promise. When the Bible says the blood of Christ makes you clean, when the Bible says the blood of Christ makes you clean, it doesn't mean that you're going to be faultless. It doesn't mean that you're going to be forever faithful once the blood of Christ makes you clean. It means you're going to fail. It means you're going to sin. And when you do, you don't wallow in the misery. You look to the blood of Christ. And that blood of Christ washes you clean. That blood of Christ, the gospel picks you up. And by the power of God, you move forward by grace and grace alone. Because that's how Christ shepherds his people. He shepherds with grace. You see, we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, not because we are unshakable, but because God is a consuming fire. Thus, let us offer God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God's promise is firm. His love for you cannot be dissolved. The Abrahamic covenant is forever, for God said so, and so Christ promises you eternal life, even though you don't deserve it and never will. You see, God shepherds his people by grace, and it's a special grace for his people, but we also see in this text God's common grace. Verse 11. Verse 11 reads, as he takes the city, And Hiram, king of Tyre, sent messengers to David and cedar trees, also carpenters and masons who built David a house, an outside kingdom that didn't belong to the kingdom of God, a neighbor kingdom, and a neighborly king 
blesses David, builds for him through industry a house. And this is God's common grace. This is the Noahic covenant. We've been talking about the Abrahamic covenant. This is the Noahic covenant. The Noahic covenant promises the church God's care, God's common grace, and and God preserves this world. You see, God shepherds his people by grace. He shepherds his people by the cross of Christ, our redemption, but he also shepherds his people by the preservation of this earth. You see, God gives us good things in this world as Christians, and God blesses us, and then God also restrains the evil out there. Yes, there is evil out there, and if God's restraining hand was taken off of that evil, it would just flood the world, and we would be consumed by the fire and wickedness of evil man. But God preserves, and and God endures, and God preserves, and he's moving the world forward. Now listen, he's moving the world forward by common grace. He's moving the world forward for the church. He's moving everything, heaven and earth, for the church. This means that the Noahic covenant serves the Abrahamic covenant. Noah serves Abraham, and Abraham's primary. But but Noah is good. Noah's legitimate. You can have a non-Christian build your house, and that house is legitimate, even though it's not a Christian house per se, as long as that house follows you know, the proper code, building code and engineering, you thank, you thank the builder for the house. Even if he's not a Christian, you thank the builder, but you praise the Lord. And then you also have to recognize that the Noahic covenant is temporary. So you ain't going to take your home with you. The, hand, the home ain't going, my Texan's coming out. The home, the home ain't going to the new heavens and the new earth. That means love your house be patriotic, but love the church more because the church is the only lasting institution under the rainbow because the church belongs to the covenant of grace. And we are forever lasting because we belong to Abraham. One grace, thus one peace. Verse 12 And David knew that the Lord had established him king over Israel, that he had exalted his kingdom. For the sake of his people Israel. And that phrase, for the sake of his people Israel, means David was made king to shepherd God's people. He was made king for the sake of Israel, not Israel for the sake of David. He was exalted to the throne, not to rule, but to serve. He was a servant king, an under shepherd. And his kingship was not an end of itself, but a means to an end. And that end was God's grace to his people. David was over Israel for Israel, and that truth holds the church today. Husbands, you are head of your wife to serve her sacrificially, not to lord over her, not to rule her. She has one ruler, and she has one head and one mediator. Parents, you are an authority to your children, but Christ is the real authority, and you are to serve them to the Lord. And ministers, elders, and deacons, you are to care for Christ's sheep but you're not the shepherd. In church, you are to submit to your elders and obey them in the Lord. But you're also to submit to one another. You see, we're all together here, one another. And we're all here together, not over one another, but side by side one another, serving one another where the first shall be last. 
And loving service is the Christian life. For the sake of God's people, we are here. For the sake of his people, Israel. That is the truth for us Christians as well. The sake of his people, we are here. Verse 13, and David took more concubines and wives from Jerusalem after he came from Hebron and more sons and daughters were born to him. And here the narrator is just showing us how the Lord has blessed David. This large number of children, I'm not going to read the names, but all of these children born to David, most of them male. It's just showing the blessing that the Lord gave to David and that blessing is grace. And we know that blessing is grace alone because the phrase begin, and David took more concubines and wives from Jerusalem, which was unbiblical. He does something unbiblical, something against Torah, but the Lord blessed him because it's the Abrahamic covenant where sin abounds, but grace abounds all the more. And we're going to see David. We're going to see David. He's going to, you, you know, he's all, I mean, the narrator is always showing us, like, even at the height of David, it just, it throws in these little, these little nuggets. Look how he's not a perfect person. Man after God's own heart, but he's a sinner. And we're going to see him as the chapters move forward. He's going to become a greater and greater sinner. And that grace of God is going to become even mightier. Because that's the covenant of grace. You see, Christ shepherds by ordination. Christ shepherds by grace. And finally, he shepherds with power. Verse 17, when the Philistines heard that David had anointed king, had been anointed king over Israel, they all go out and search for David. The Philistines could not stand a united kingdom, so they sought to David, but David heard about it. He wasn't fret. He didn't, he didn't, he wasn't too nervous. It says he heard of it, went down to the stronghold, all is well. But then the Philistines came out and they spread out in the valley of Riphium. And I'm sure this spreading out was fearful. And it was fearful, for David falls on his knees, verse 19. And David inquired of the Lord, Shall I go up? Will you give him into my hand? And the Lord said, Yes, go. David went and he defeated. It says, verse 20, here we see the power of prayer and the power of the Lord. And David came to Baal Perazim, and David defeated them there. That's important. David defeated them there. That's one thing. That's a really important thing, by the way. David defeated them there. But the more important thing was this, and the Lord has bust through my enemies, he said. The Lord burst through. The Lord burst through my enemies before me like a bursting flood. Yahweh was like a dam that broke open and water came pouring out of the dam and wiped out the valley. The Lord, the Lord leveled the enemy. You see, David's victory was one thing. David's defeat was one thing, but the Lord's was the real thing. Because the Lord rules by one. And therefore, the name of the place was called Baal Perazim. Baal Perazim actually literally means the Lord bursting out or God bursts out. Yahweh burst out and destroyed the enemy. In 21, the Philistines left their idols there. And I love David. He does acceptable worship. He carried them away. <laughs> he carried the idols away and destroyed them. He carried the idols away and destroyed them because worship is powerful. Worship is powerful because the Lord is Baal Perazim. And so worship is deadly. So we do it rightly. For our God is a consuming file, fire. 
Baal Perazim, the Lord bursts out. In verse 22, and the Philistines came up yet again. They spread out in the valley again and again. It was, a, it was a fearful spread. And so David again, verse 23, inquired of the Lord. And the Lord said, don't go out. He says, go around this time. <laughs> so the Lord gives him a different tactic. Don't go out, but go around. Come around their rear. Come around their rear awesome, opposite of the balsam trees. And when you hear... Verse 24, when you hear the sound of the marching on the tops, and that sound of the marching on the tops was Yahweh the warrior going out as captain, leading the host of his mighty army against Israel, or for Israel. Then rouse yourself up, for the Lord has gone out before you to strike down the enemy. Verse 25, and David did as the Lord commanded. And David struck down the Philistines from Gibba to Gerza. Under David's leadership and under David's reign, he marched out and he destroyed. That was one thing. David went out victorious, one thing. But the real thing was Yahweh Baal Perazim, the great warrior captain, the great general, the real leader of Israel, went out before his people and conquered the enemy. The real thing was the Lord. And this means that under David's leadership, the Lord, not a mortal, the Lord would go out before the nation to fight their battles. And that is the promise of the Abrahamic covenant, where God says, I will be your shield. I will be your reward. And the warrior king that goes out before his people is none less than Abraham's offspring, David's greater son, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who is Lord Sabaoth, and he must win the battle. Jesus was ordained to be our Savior. Jesus is our warrior king. And he who holds all of life laid it down died to destroy sin and death forever. The true shepherd laid down his life for the sheep. We have one savior. And by his resurrection, he now holds eternal life that he might never let us go. We have one shepherd, one shepherd who serves, protects, provides for all our needs, body and soul. And this is what it means for us, church. We have elders in our church. Elders rule the church, but the true ruler is Christ. Ministers preach the gospel, but the true preacher is the Holy Spirit. Deacons serve the church, but the one who truly serves his church is the one who got on his knees and washed his disciples' feet. Baptism saves not the water, but the one who holds all of life, bled and died for his people. The Lord's Supper feeds and nourishes because the one who gives bread starved. Husbands are head of the home, but the wife's true head, her real head, is the one who truly washes her with the pure water of the word. Parents raise their children, but the real authority is Jesus Christ. You see, church, there are means to an end, but the end is Christ, and the power of those means is Christ, and Christ is one and only one mediator between God and man. 
And Jesus is the great shepherd. He is the yes and the amen of all God's promises. One king, one head, one husband, one brother, one friend, one minister, one savior, one Lord, our great shepherd, Jesus Christ. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. At Covenant Reformed Church in Missoula, Montana, we sincerely believe God's Word and faithfully teach it. We invite you to worship with us on Sundays. For more information, please visit MissoulaURC.com. That's MissoulaURC.com.